Hello, and as promised, welcome to episode 137, Life in Red podcast. It's me, Ryan, and my guest today. At the start of the year, we all sort of have these new resolutions, right? It's part of our culture. It's part of our society that it's going to be a new year. It's going to be a new me. And a lot of that comes down to body weight, losing weight, maybe getting in the gym and getting more fit and and working on our fitness. I mean, there's other goals too, but primarily we want to change how we look and how we feel about our bodies. Um, That's pretty standard for most people. When you get into this realm without the proper training or education, it can get really confusing. It can, I mean, even really intelligent people can get lost in misinformation and disinformation when it comes to optimal exercises, dieting, um, all these fad diets that, you know, your best friend at work is urging you to try, whether that be keto or fasting or whatever else comes up. I remember back in the day, um, my mom and all her friends were eliminating carbs and doing the Atkins diet. That was really popular. But as we move into, you know, a new age of society where people are becoming a lot more socially aware of things like fat phobia and things like misinformation, disinformation on um, on these nutrition advice, supplements, all this stuff on social media you see of people selling courses and all put things to put in your body or these diets or, you know, calories in, calorie deficits, calories out, all these different things. It can be really overwhelming and a majority of people who enter this journey fall back into their old patterns because it's just, it's so difficult. And we focus on quick results and not just enjoying the process. And so I brought this guest on today to really dig into all this. They are a genius, an absolute genius. And one of my favorite TikTokers. And we've been trying to work this out for almost a year until we finally nailed it down and had this conversation. We, we get into the science around nutrition and about body weight and, and, how we can properly maintain ourselves and our, our health and the things that, you know, bothers them. Um, and it was a great conversation. Everything I hoped it would be. Um, you can give them a follow on social media. Uh, honestly, so informative. And I love, I absolutely love the sass. Um, you can find them Instagram fit nutrition counseling. They're a nutritionist, uh, a scientist, an absolute wonderful person. Please give up for my guest, Bridget photo. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. One of the most badass pages I've ever come across on TikTok, and then I found her Instagram, and then it was even more cool. Bridget, finally glad we can connect here. Yeah, yeah. Finally, my God, it's been like a year. <laughs> exactly, we've been going back and forth for a year, and uh, over TikTok and email, and finally things lined up for us. Uh, you're my mm. first episode being recorded in 2023, so congratulations on that. Happy New Year! Oh, We're going to start it off with a, a a strong, um, in your face sort of conversation about health. yeah. I I can uh, I can bring that energy. That in your face seems to be the. <laughs> the going uh going great of me that's sort of one of the things i love 
most about your channels is like one it's obvious that you know like you know what you're talking about you're very confident and it's clear you're an expert but it's sort of the way you deliver it in a way that's like the, there's human um but there's also like like you just no bullshit like that's basically what i'm trying to say like you're very like clear and direct and i love that about it and that's what resonated with me so much so i want to like sort of introduce who you are and what you do so i i mean you probably have like many titles and many areas of expertise so i'll let you sort of describe it but how did you get here yeah uh so my journey started in the the hard sciences like i've always uh i come from a place where i used to love i love that black and white thinking i want things to be wrong i want things to be right i like that clarity and i think that that comes with also many um like student athletes or people who come from a, an athletic background as well that all or nothing mentality is also strongly associated i know now with perfectionism and so I really gravitated towards the hard sciences <clears throat> and I, I became a, a, a conditioning coach. And as I went through, uh, went through those years in my twenties, I, I realized that when I was on the floor working with clients as a trainer, or when I was working with athletes or when I was doing my own research, um, it, the counseling component always appealed to me. There was a, there was a long running, like meme joke of what personal trainers, what people think I do and what I actually do. And then what actually I do was like a Sigmund Freud, like classic picture on a therapy bed, you know, and part of that's true. And, uh, so that's, I ended up going back for nutritional counseling and I'm pursuing a master's PhD right now, which, you know, we'll, 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 we'll parking lot that right now because like, that's a journey, uh, ask me in another five years where I'm at, but, uh, that's the direction I, I'm going in. So to answer your question in short, I have the nutritional sciences and I focus on um, the eating behavior as well. So I'm niched in between those two things, between coaching and counseling, you could say. Mm. I I think the timing of this conversation couldn't be better because we're, you know, it's January 2023 as we record this. And I mean, it's the cliche. People get their New Year's resolutions. Um, the, the marketers are out in full force on on diets and getting you into the gym and, you know, everyone wants a new body and we're going to start the new year and, and mm -hmm. sort of try to transform ourselves. And, and then by February, most people unfortunately are back to their old habits. And I want to start, you mentioned you're there, like sort of like the therapist and counseling people mm -hmm. through these journeys. So I want to start there because as a mental health advocate and sort of in that realm, I think a lot of people struggle with with the mentality around health. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's a confusing space online. There's so much different advice. Like it's just hard to know who's right, who's wrong, and everyone's sort of selling you something different. And mm. I mean, so when you take me back to maybe when you're on the floor, you're working with clients now, it's January. What are the sort of things you're trying to tell them to maybe set them up? for success that versus years ago or even now other trainers are like rather trying to sell them something. 
Yeah, great question. I see where I, I have a few different <clears throat> thoughts going on. So the mm -hmm. first one is to determine the difference between science and pseudoscience, because, you know, in, in scientific practices, when we're looking, nutrition is a science at the end of the day, like that's, that's where like the no bullshit attitude kind of comes in, where I get really peeled and on my social media is when you have people who are selling something and inducing anxiety in their audience to sell a product or to sell a service. Um, and it's, it, it looks like it's scientific, right? So a heavy focus, this is a very just clear, easy indicator is if you're scrolling and you see something and you're not sure if it's scientifically based or not, most of the time, something that is true science will be on the, the higher levels of the, the hierarchy of research, which we can go into another time but it's focused on actual health. And they're usually very specific claims and think about just basic ethics. Like if I say something, and that's a lot of the reason why I don't give a lot of specific information online because of ethical reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So ethically speaking, I would have to be incredibly specific with the information I'm giving to the individual. Whereas in pseudoscience, an easy tell is most of the problems are about weight. It's very heavy weight focused. It's very, um, it's very individualized. Like it's your problem. This is your fault. Whereas in uh, science, we're still talking about the social determinants of health. So that that's an, like an easy tell from that, just to determine fact from from fiction. Then what you find out that they're selling most of the time. So after they've induced some anxiety in you and they do this through two different ways, this is media literacy, but usually using attention grabbing headlines, right? Mm -hmm. Or some sort of attention grabbing imagery. So I still do it. It's like, oh, 10 things you didn't know about avocados. I'm like, oh my God, like a nutritionist, but I'm like, oh, what is it? What could it be? And you want to click, right? The click is the buy-in. Once you have the buy-in, you're like, oh no, what's going on here, right? That's when your ads start to go crazy. <laughs> so after you click and you see, okay, and now something is being sold to you, um, it's that little bit of anxiety that's really making making that sale. And so in this instance, the example is, uh, you know, just a click or a follow. And then once you have that buy-in, it starts to build and you may find that they're usually selling some sort of diet, uh, fat mm -hmm. diet or supplement or services that are not um, not maybe ethically sound. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. um, then from there, like we could talk a little bit about the fad diet cycle, like why people yeah. buy in there. So it all starts with like a desire to change, right? So that desire to change comes from some sort of anxiety. Typically the most, the one we talk about the most, uh, you know, is a desire to, to change weight or shape. And with this usually comes some sort of fad diet. So say you buy into that ad of 10 things you didn't know about avocados. And it's some personal trainer going, oh my God, we're going on an avocado diet here. And we're not going to eat anything else other than avocados. And this is the way to go. You also have to buy these $10,000 worth of supplements. Okay, so you, you buy in. You're like, oh man, this avocado diet is going to change my life, right? When you restrict, eventually, eventually in this fad diet, you will consume foods that are that are not avocados. Right. You're going to have some sort of binge restraint cycle, possibly as well. Regardless, you're going to return to most of your old habits or at the very least. Um, and it could affect your basal metabolic rate. There's tons of problems with over restricting metabolically that I'm not going to get into today. I mean, we could, but that would be Manusha, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. And then uh, and then what happens is that when you when you fail that freaking diet, you feel guilt and shame. Almost all of our diet industry and fitness industry is so heavily enforced with guilt and shame. And when we feel guilt or shame, we really, we internalize that. And instead of saying, 
oh, that diet was terrible or, or that that person who told me that I was terrible. We go, man, I failed that diet. Our brain plays this little game on us that goes, you failed. And so then what does that do? Now you have a desire to be thinner again. It's not the diet's fault. It's your fault. I failed, right? It provides our brain with false evidence. And then that's how you end up diet jumping. Mm-hmm. So then by March, you're going, I'm going to do a cleanse before summer, you know? So um, I went on a Bridget tangent again, didn't I? Love it. I That's what that. the podcasts are for. I love tangents. <laughs> um, I, before I move on, I want to make something very clear to people who are listening. Um, are there such things as like bad food? Like when we talk mm-hmm. about restricting, like are there bad foods? No, there are. Okay. The re, this is, this is the thing. It's the, the language, right? Language. We know, especially mental health language carries tons of information with it. One word, everything is in our language using good foods and bad foods pisses me off so much because there is no morality in your food choices, right? When we're talking about how eating disorders start, um, you have to start with like, what is a healthy framework of eating? And a healthy framework of eating comes from three different places. You have your, your food choices, which, you know, can be socioeconomic, they could be developmental, they could be uh, psychophysiological. These are just like the food choices around you. You also have two other factors, and that's your meaning, the meaning you place on foods that can be very cultural, like, oh, I'm Italian, mm-hmm. so this is how I eat. Family dinners are important. Or you could have a different framework that you think of food as fuel. Maybe you grew up that way. You also have the meaning of of size, which has a lot of self-objectification and your perception of weight, what shapes and weights mean. We now are seeing more research with that, with like fat phobia and things like that. So morality on your food choices of good and bad, that expands you into an area of of disordered eating where now you're labeling these foods uh, on a moral context, which just isn't a a healthy framework to be in. Mm -hmm. Is there a a difference between dieting especially restrictive dieting and like eating disorders i see this a lot on tiktok specifically that like people will go on to someone who is like really training for maybe it's bodybuilding or powerlifting and like you know their diet is so regimented it's like chicken and rice and broccoli and that that like that 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 it and then you see people in the comments saying this is like an eating disorder so when we're talking about dieting or any of that is is there like a difference between that and disordered eating? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So think of those three topics as like a, a standard of healthy eating. And there's actually lots of microtopics. So you have your food choices, your meaning of food, your meaning of size. If those three things are in a good place, and I think of like toddlers, which is pretty sad that that's like the framework of where I'm starting with of a, of a healthy um, relationship with food. You have this gray area next to it when things start to shift. So let's say you start looking at foods like good and bad. Let's say you start placing a different meaning on size, like associating skinny with healthy. Mm-hmm. Let's Let's say you start choosing food choices um, that are, uh, say, misinformed of just straight up like, oh, uh, fruits are unhealthy now. I don't know. I'm making it up, but you hear that. So much sugar. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. So you have you have this disordered eating gray area. And the two cri- criteria for that are, yes, your perception of food and and a change in your diet. So that would check the box off in terms of that bodybuilder who's intentionally changing their diet 
with certain amounts of restrictions or say fat dieting. But the other criteria for that is um, like a, a negative uh, body image. So body dissatisfaction, which a lot of bodybuilders could potentially, I'm just saying they could fall into this disordered eating things because they are intentionally changing their diet for shape or weight. Mm. A lot of the times that that could come for from body dysmorphia, but until the next step for a diagnosed eating disorder is that uh, it is, um, it is psychopathological, right? So that's the defining difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder diagnoses. And um, only a qualified medical professional can do that. Obviously, that being said, there is a lot of disordered eating in the fitness industry, right? Bodybuilding has been around for a long time. It is a sport, but it should be looked at as a sport. You know, if somebody would say, if somebody looks at an NFL player's diet and their their fitness goals and what they're regimented doing, they're probably not doing too much different in terms of that. I have to change my diet and I have to change my physique for these goals, but these are professional athletes we're talking about. And I don't want anybody to look at bodybuilding. Like it's not a sport. They are true mm. athletes. So that's something to also take into consideration as well. If they're taking it seriously, that being right. said. What yeah. do you, what do you think it is that makes us so susceptible to these sort of, I know you sort of mentioned the anxiety, but, you know, it seems to be prevalent and especially among women um, when it comes to these sort of diets. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way at all, but yeah. just it, that that's sort of what it's marketed to. Um, you know, we have yeah. so many like it's I see the the carnivore diet now is and that stupid doctor who's like all over being like eating green vegetables is bad. You know, we have keto, which I don't know how still is how much like weight it still has or if it's gone we had the atkins i remember when i was growing up that was big um the intermittent fasting now starving yourself intentionally i mean mm -hmm. what makes us so susceptible to is it like a, a nature nurture thing like is it go all the way back to childhood yeah like your developmental process is, is huge here and actually that's that's funny because one that's one of the first things that we think about when we think about prevention right like a lot of prevention of eating disorders and disordered eating has been targeted to youth or young adults um but i i have three different thoughts here that i'm going to run past you and then we'll we'll kind of pick and choose where we want to go from from here but the first is when we talk about and i'll go with the developmental first is the the levels of influence Right. So in childhood and in our development, um, our microsystem is our most influential. Right. So that's from our siblings. That's from our parents. If you were raised in any other institutions like a school, like a church, like a religion, those all form your belief systems. Right. So that is the most influential. When we're talking about gender roles, my thoughts also go to um, boys are more socialized in general and in the past to uh, be more vocal, tease each other and things like that, which a lot of um, body uh, and body image things can come from, which I'll go into next when we talk about the appearance ideal cycle. And girls are more socialized to uh value their self-worth on male their their counterparts uh, opinion mm -hmm. right so so you have kind of the stereotypical boys mouthing off girls internalizing boys mouth. so that that's like a, a socialized pattern um unfortunately so what happens and why you bring up you know women almost i don't want to say falling for but kind of falling for these fat diets more more often 
well, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't say falling for. I should say that, you know, when we look look at, for for example, for uh, a framework here, you know, when we look at rates of, say, obesity, approximately 50% male, 50% female, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going with standard, mm-hmm. like the old, you know, gender, everything. So that's that's what we know from the science. But we have 90% of women investing in weight loss programs, right? So if it's the same for, if you're even talking about, say, the benefits of losing weight for people who are obese, which, you know, that has its own thing going on right now. um, Why is it that 90% of the people investing are women? So that goes into the appearance ideal cycle. And the appearance ideal cycle is basically this faulty belief system that you're not working hard enough it is possible for you to achieve and it's interesting that we have women of all different shapes and sizes all different demographics you could put a 16 year old girl next to an 80 year old woman and ask them what the appearance ideal is and they both have the same (laughs) like physique they both want the same body right it's like why is this happening so you know it's a socio-cultural effect and it starts with social commentary. So this is how the boys are also involved and in how the self-worth gets involved. So everything starts with the social commentary. And this is why a lot of my social media is like, shut the fuck up. Like, don't make a comments about people's bodies. Don't make comments about people's plates because this is where seeds are planted. Mm. So you have that social commentary. So say it's a daughter and her mom goes, oh, I can't eat that. I'll get fat. Right. Automatically. And this is normal. We have that internalized self-objectification. How do I measure up? Right. If mom thinks she's fat, what do I look like? If my partner says something, if my if the boys at school say something, whatever, it's all about how do I measure up? Men do this, too. This isn't just a woman's thing, but I'll go on. Um, So what happens is when we have that self-objectification of how do I measure up and it's almost an impossible standard or something that's not realistic for us or the demographics don't match up, just doesn't make sense. uh, We haven't we internalize the guilt and shame again. And it's totally normal when we feel shame and all of us experience it and not a lot of us talk about it. We have a, we lower our overall self-regard for our safety. Our safety just kind of depresses just like that. And we go, yeah, I guess I don't really care. And your, your risk factors go up. So you're more likely to take a risk. You're more likely to make an investment. And guess what you're going to make an investment in? The appearance ideal. How do Mm. I start to look like that? Right. So it may start with one fat diet that maybe a teenage girl starts when she's 14, 13, whatever. And then by the time she's 25, she's maybe investing in cosmetic surgery or things like that because the cycle continues. Because what do you do when you have like a great restaurant that you you tell all your friends about it? Right. Mm-hmm. So when you make an investment in something, now all of a sudden you're investing and you're gonna have that social commentary on it as well. If I'm working at it, why can't you work at it? Well, if I'm doing it, this is my favorite diet. Why don't you try this diet? You haven't tried the avocado diet? Man, I lost 10 pounds this weekend, right? Gonna come yeah. back on, but and then you have that self-objectification of how do I measure up? So that's how it perpetuates. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting the the comparisons we make. And even I mean, I'm super aware of it. And even I catch myself sometimes, you know looking at a a man on social media and be like, wow, I wish I could look like that. Um, There's actually just like, as a quick aside, there's some guys who like are super ripped and, you know, they looking really sharp, but then they'll do a video of them, like looking what they're like, not with perfect lighting, not in the gym with a pump. And it's like, they sort of have a belly. I'm like, Oh, that actually makes you feel like a lot better. And I love when people are a little more real like that. Um, So like when it comes to, this because I think a lot of people are going to be asking, well, then, you know, Bridget, what do I do? 
Um, I, I've been trying. I I I, I want to get my health in check. You know, I'm, it doesn't even have to be about like radical weight loss. It's just mm-hmm. I, I want to feel better. I want to. Mm-hmm. And I have this person saying, don't eat meat. This person saying, don't eat carbs. Um, you know, you have diets, uh, diets, um, lifestyles, you know, like the paleo or, or vegan or Mediterranean diet that are sort of not diets, but they, they are because they are restricting certain, I'll let you talk about mm-hmm. that. But like people are just wondering, what do I do? Uh, I, I want to get healthy and I don't know what to do to do that, especially when it comes to eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, to transition out from the appearance ideal is if somebody feels like they are thinking about food all day long or they're having a, a, a you know, a problem with their relationship with their body, um, you know, from an outside, like a trauma informed perspective, because I, I just want to touch base on this quickly before mm-hmm. just going into the mm-hmm. general nutrition advice is that if you feel like you're caught up in these cycles and it's been too long, the interesting thing about shame and guilt when we associate it with our bodies or our foods is that the behavioral, like the thing that you can observe, we always talk about behaviors being the only thing we can observe, but there's thoughts and emotions behind it. So if you have a, a feeling of shame or you're having thoughts of guilt and things like that, the behavioral uh, thing that you see actually is um, refusing help, which is so ironic. And that's how these cycles can really, really perpetuate right? Because you have such a a feeling of shame or guilt that you're not likely to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I want to say is that if you're feeling guilt or shame, you need to stop the cycle and reach out. Like that's just first and foremost, especially if you can find a trauma informed therapist, if you can find a nutritionist, reach out for help with anybody. (laughs) I just get out there, tell a friend, tell a family member that that's what's going on. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, when it comes to if people want to improve their health, go to the clinical guidelines, right? There's free information. We're both in Canada. We're, there's free information on our websites. The scientists, the work is already done. The work's done for you. Make sure your plate looks balanced most of the time, right? When you're doing things that are most helpful for you most of the time, you will have health. Right. This is where that that haze, the uh, health at every size comes in, because Mm. I always beg the question when somebody comes in, they say, I want to lose weight. I'm like, okay, you want to lose weight. But like, why? Like Mm. what what is I know it's your body, your choice. At the end of the day, if you came into a tattoo shop and you wanted a bunch of tattoos, I'd say, all right, like, let's scan it out. And are you sure you want your whole body covered in tattoos? (laughs) All right. So I understand the body autonomy at the end of the day. So you really have to ask yourself, will losing weight actually make me healthier? Or is this pursuit of weight loss um, more because of things like the appearance ideal or because of how you're treated when you're thinner or because of some sort of false sense of happiness? We do this a long time. I can tell you right now that everybody who loses weight, it doesn't necessarily make them a happier person right? Mm -hmm. Your clothes may fit a different way, or you may be treated differently. um, But your biomarkers, you know, maybe they've changed, maybe they haven't. But happiness is is in is a different thing altogether. That's a big that's a that's a big one. Because I think everybody, I mean, we're told all the time, you know, if you're obese, I mean, it's a tricky subject because you don't want to demean anybody. And I don't know the science, but when it comes to things like obesity and, and fat phobia and health at, at any size, you know, there, again, that's sort of like another contradicting opinions on and science on that. And I mean, I don't really know, 
I do know that everybody, no matter who you are and what your size is, deserves respect and dignity. That I mean, mm-hmm. that's first and foremost. But when it comes to obesity, and, and I'm not even going to get into like the the obesity of the BMI scale, but mm-hmm. um, I think the science is pretty clear. Correct me if I'm wrong. That mm-hmm. there there are risk factors from from being that. So how do you balance that all into from like a psychological perspective? Yeah. So let's say, for example, somebody is obese and <clears throat> if they uh, they couldn't go for surgery until they lost a certain amount of weight because it's a health risk. Right. Um, still, the diet would be pretty much the same. You'd be looking at a slight caloric deficit right? No, nobody is looking at doing a a fat diet. You know, I've seen some research in which people do have to go like say the bariatric, right? So leading up to bariatric surgery, having to take shakes and things like that, that comes with a lot of psychological, um, um, I was going to say fortitude, definitely fortitude, definitely strength. Um, but you know, they, they have clinicians on staff to help talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're going through a medical procedure in which there are clinicians to oversee your mental health, as you go through a diet, that's not a diet you should be trying to like replicate at home. Like, you know what I mean? So, um, going back to the basics of nutrition, are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough fiber? Are you getting enough protein? Does your plate most of the time look like 50% vegetables and fruit quarter, some sort of protein quarter, some sort of starch or carbohydrate, right? Go back to basics. And most people will, if you're underweight, you will most likely gain weight because we also have diets for people who are being treated for, for other things that they need to gain weight. Right. So diets are a treatment when we talk about them in that sense. Um, and I like to look at them like a, like a medical procedure, mm-hmm. right? I think that that's a helpful framework. Um, so if you're doing things most of the time, somebody who is underweight will most likely gain weight. Somebody who is uh, significantly overweight, they will lose weight. Right. Um, and that's just, that's just calories and calories out at the end of the day, right? Or overall energy balance. Um, obviously, you want to make sure you're getting as quality macronutrients as possible. And when you're getting as quality macronutrients as possible, your micronutrients will balance out. But what we see is, you know, social media, again, going back to my calling out misinformation, one of my big beefs with the misinformation is they take a top-down approach. So a top-down approach is the opposite of an evidence-based approach. Evidence-based is what I said. Energy balance first, macros, like what's the quality Maybe a little bit nutrient time. Nutrient time is more important for athletes, for the majority of the population. They don't need to worry about that. And then supplements right at the top, right? If you're deficient in something, all right, let's get it in. Yeah. If we see the opposite in like a lot of pseudoscience is that top down approach. Okay. Here's the supplements you need. And then here's the nutrient timing. We're going to do intermittent fasting. And then I'm going to talk about the macronutrients. And then, you know, don't worry about calories, like just count chemicals or something like that. So that's a series of misinformation mm. taking you down down a rabbit hole but it's easy to it's a it's a sexier sell i'll tell you that than doing make a lot of work. money on supplements that's for sure yeah those things are not yeah. cheap i was like mm, maybe i should I do know. some greens and i look at the powder it's like 70 dollars for a month I'm like, what the? yeah for grass what is happening <laughs> <laughs> grass clippings that gets um, so bad <laughs> let's talk about misinformation and disinformation when it comes to this um i'm sure there are a lot that grind your gears <laughs> i'm sure we've already kind of covered some but I don't know if any others come to mind, but what are some of the maybe most prevalent things that like 
get you get you fired up? What are some of you know maybe things you've seen popular people um, sort of pedal that you were like, no, 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 no. Maybe the list is too long. I don't know. The the (laughs) list goes on. I mean, I have my entire social media is based off this. No, the one said, I don't know if you saw the one today. I, because I joked, somebody had asked me that the other day was the worst piece of information that you heard. And I said in my video, I was like, listen, I've kind of heard it all. But what really pisses me off is like incongruency, right? If there's a trainer out there who's like a bro and going, hey, here's what works for me. And he's talking about all the time is social media. It's a little bit easier to have to have empathy and go, hey, you know, okay, that's, you know, not quite 100% right for everyone. That's, you know, it's unethical to give everybody the exact same mm. stuff just because it worked for you. And frankly, like, you're out of scope, you're out of line. Um, but he's congruent. He's just saying, hey, here's where I got my information. This is what works for me. So I can maneuver that situation a little bit uh, better. I can, I can, you know, and I can deal with it better. I really get pissed off when I see incongruency, right? Where people step out of their lane, step out of their scope of practice, and they they throw out arguments left, right, and center, or cherry pick research, all for trying to get their audience to to see that they're you know correct and and they're they're misinformed. And now I get pissed off because it's like, okay, now you're blatantly spreading misinformation. Right now, somebody has come to you and I, I, I have a lot of great uh, people on my account that I met through COVID actually on Instagram and all with preventing misinformation being spread. That really grinds my gears um, is that incongruency of, listen, you've been kind of informed about this and yet you're still going to push and peddle uh, misinformation, right? That That's a big piss off for me. But then like today, and then I saw some somebody online uh, tagged me and it said that uh, to increase salt intake and just nonstop have salt all day long and that everybody is salt deficient. And I was just like, okay, that's the worst piece of information I've ever heard. <laughs> like, never mind, scrap all that. <laughs> the guy who's peddling salt in his new salt supplement, I was like, I can't, like I'm done. I think that's, that's my, I'm done for the month, maybe, I don't know. I'd have to That's go back. One. We should all just eat pink Himalayan salt. Actually, who was it? Oh, it was Liver King. I saw. Um, oh, he was on a. Uh, I don't know what he was doing, but he was like, "It's my my all salt dinner," and it's just like salts and a big brick of salt. And I'm like, "What is happening?" I mean, yeah. that guy's a. But whole you saw other... he got he got yeah. blasted for having the uh yeah the ten thousand oh, yeah. dollars of supplements a month. Yeah, testosterone, and... steroids. So big surprise there. there. I mean. I don't care how good the diet is. You're never going to see me eating raw testicles. Like know, right? they could be like, like you'll lose a hundred pounds guaranteed. And I'll be like, I'm not, I'm not putting that in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some, some lines that I go, I can't fathom it. Like <laughs> it, it's like, what a joke. Like that is like the extent of fad dieting <laughs> though. Like I thought that Susan powder cutting out all white foods was terrible. And then like people are eating balls yeah just like (laughs) raw everything like raw like all this school and i'm telling people like consume less testicles like what is happening in the world it's (laughs) it's honestly baffling the same thing with that other guy like i i I wish i remembered his name i know he's on joe rogan but it's just like he's a doctor so people think he's but he's like um you know leafy greens have like cellophane and that like destroys your dna or something and it's like I saw some other doctor being like, you would have to eat like, like 18 truckloads, uh, that's uh, that's made up, but like 18 truckloads of like leafy green vegetables for it 
even to for oxalate for any reaction yeah. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Another one I just got called out. Well, I didn't get called out. I, I saw this, this humorous video today on TikTok and I, I like the guy, like, I feel like this guy is my spirit animal. And he was just saying on the news, cause in C in Canada up here for anyone who's American listening, um, we were our new health guidelines have recommended us to max out at two drinks per week mm-hmm. and Canadian culture is very heavy on on drinking I mean I don't really know too many cultures that aren't uh, I never ever ever recommend alcohol whatsoever um and so I kind of like call I didn't call it out but I like I did the stitch or whatever with it and because he goes well what am I supposed to do now just drink pop and I was like well, if you put them head to head, like pop is how, like you're talking about a known carcinogen in alcohol and people are like, sure, causes cancer. I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything about, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, just no. So just the the amount of misinformation from even commenters you can see that have been yeah. influenced by others, bringing it into another comment section. I'm like, that's how, that's how it spreads. It spreads so freaking fast, you know? Yeah, it's. I mean, for me, and you sort of mentioned at the top, you know, you 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 love the sciences because like black and white, right? You like it right or wrong, or it's like it's it's easy. What I find so much about just our general culture and society, whether it's science, whether it's um, cultural issues or political issues, like we we always default to like this or that, and we don't leave room for that in between. Um, some people call it nuance, complexities. Mm-hmm. That it's like. We know alcohol is bad. We know mm-hmm. alcohol is bad. We know people are still going to drink. So mm-hmm. it, it's like, these are guidelines to help you make the best choice possible. If you still want to drink, they didn't make that illegal. They, yeah. they, they're they not saying don't drink. They're saying, hey, if you drink, these are the risks. Now, you know, yeah. but people are like, I want you know, just, of course, common sections. You can never depend on being healthy, but it's yeah. just. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's just to simplify things, but like a lot of things aren't right or wrong uh, or oh, good or bad yeah. or one and Absolutely. two. Absolutely. That's yeah. False dichotomies, right? Like that, that's a, that's a cognitive uh, bias and a logical fallacy is thinking that it's either or, or comparing like apples to oranges, right. Too. That's another one. And you know, that's kind of what this guy was doing. If you can't compare alcohol to, to pop, and then you have like the other argument of dose makes the poison. And at the end of the day, there's a difference between, and, and this is like on an individual level and then on like a macro level as well of that when we see a lot of this wearing a badge of honor and these superlatives of all or nothing and i go hard go home or yes and no and black and white i used to be like that like that's a strong Mm -hmm. component of Mm -hmm. the fitness industry but that nuance is so important and when you find the difference and when people learn the difference between that all or nothing thinking and striving for excellence it's a game changer so i do that like in sessions that's a little bit more digging that's a little bit more like i can't really speak to that too too much but it takes time to notice the difference that there's a time that calls for perfection or all or nothing thinking, right? Uh, a person who's doing surgery for eight hours, they need that perfectionism. Mm-hmm. But thinking uh, and almost to the point of obsessing over what you're going to eat for dinner or that foods are good or bad, um, that's not worthy of that perfectionist thinking, right? That's that when you strive for excellence or do things well, do the important things well most of the time that's where you find this this uh clear the clutter out of your brain and that's another reason why the clinical guidelines are so important because the clutter's gone do that most of the time right canada's saying listen we know more than two drinks a week you're gonna have a huge increase in your your cancer risk right there's no like you said there's no legalities with it 
but like, Hey, here's the facts. And when we're striving for excellence, which we do in science. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, and that's a big, you see that pseudoscience is all or nothing, good or bad, black and white, where science is striving for excellence, right? We're trying to give you the best and we're trying to prove everything else false so that like it's falsifiable, right? Mm-hmm. We have that information. Yeah. That, that strive for excellence uh, thing is a great point. Cause I think that's the mindset um, that a lot of us, like we, we, as a society, we, as people want the quickest and and fastest results possible in every sense. Like we don't, we don't really have a lot of patience. We don't really understand a lot of things are a process and a journey and things take time. And I think that falls a lot into whether we talk about, um, you know, that, that appearance cycle and, and wanting to change our bodies, whether it's nutrition and fitness, right? I think maybe that's another reason why the fad diets are so popular because you can lose a lot of weight fast. They just don't tell you you can gain it back really fast mm-hmm. once you stop. Um, but I want to talk about that in a specific to the the science aspect of it because, you know, I'll even admit when I first started the gym, I did it because I felt overweight and I felt if I got in a little bit better shape, women would like me more. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my reasoning for going into the gym. And then once I actually got in there and I was like, oh, actually this feels good. My brain feels good. Uh, my, you know, all those things that then it like changed the mindset. Um, but I've been going to the gym now for like five, six years, pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. My body hasn't changed a whole hell of a lot. Um, cause I'm not really in there with a, like a super strict program and, and, you know, I, all the things that these fitness influencers are trying to do, right? Like I'm just in there doing mm-hmm. some exercises and slowly improving, but I don't think people realize that. And that's why, you know, you get there in January, you go, people will kill themselves and go like six days a week for two hours a day and then be burnt out and then not have any changes. And they're like, well, screw this. I just can't lose any weight or mm-hmm. I can't, you know what I mean? Like it's that all or nothing mentality and approach again. How do we break sort of that cycle if at all possible? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that is setting, <clears throat> setting realistic goals too, right. And knowing why you're doing something. So, um, you know, look at your, your variables. Have you, I mean, have you heard of like even smart goal setting for mm-hmm. the gym? No. Nope. And things like that. Okay. So smart goal setting is uh, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and then a time frame. So the first one has to be like a specific goal. So like, uh, you know, I want to, and usually it works here. I also do like slash sentimental, right? There has to be some sort of meaning behind what you're doing, what you're doing. Otherwise motivation waivers, discipline is like what keeps you going. Right. So some sort of sentiment with the specific, I I like to, I, that's my personal preference when I work with clients. So let's say it's a, I want to have more energy to keep up with my daughter when she plays soccer. Mm. Right. Okay, cool. So then measurable, what does my energy look like? Right? So right now I would rate my energy at a six out of 10 on a day to day basis, eight out of 10 would be um, not getting winded with her. So I'm going for an eight out of 10. Um, In order to do this, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out say three times a week, there's another measurable goal, you want the measurements to be as precise, you can always this is the thing about goals, you can always go back and change them. (laughs) <laughs> right. Some people go like, no, I don't want to set a goal because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I'm like, they're just benchmarks. Like, again, that striving for excellence, you can change them. <laughs> That's like you have the power to change them whenever you want. Literally, whenever tomorrow, tonight, in five minutes, doesn't care. Doesn't, I don't care. Uh, the next one is attainable. Now, with the attainable, this has to be something that is completely within your power. And people this is the one where people kind of I see them go, go awry here. 
attainable has to be a hundred percent in your control. An example that I use is when I was a personal trainer working at a gym, I had a, a client come in. She wanted to sign up with me for like a full year and like four sessions a week. And she, she had the payments down and everything else. And as we're going through, I'm like, okay, these three sessions this time. And then one on Saturday, we'll come in this and that. And for a fluke, I don't know how it came up. And she goes, she said something about like the bus system. And I took the bus for the longest time when I was in Windsor. Uh, and yeah, so our transportation system down here is not great. And I immediately went, oh, we can't do this. Like, this is not going to work. Like, I know for a fact that the bus on Saturdays is almost always 45 minutes late. Mm. I know for a fact that Monday through like our sessions, we're going to have to have backup times. And so that's what I meant about attainable. She was relying on an external source to make it to a Sunday session that was highly unreliable and highly unlikely. So we had to go back to the measurement and go, okay, how are we going to change this? I'm not, I don't want to change the sentiment. I don't want to change the specific too much, but what's the measurement tool we can use? Okay. You're coming in to see me two times a week. Uh, we'll aim for that third. And then you're doing, I'm giving you at home workouts, right? So this way you're not missing the bus, relying on a bus system. So that's attainable. Is this, then you go, is this realistic? So now you have to go back and do a check mark. Yeah. Okay. This is realistic. And then set a time frame. So when are you checking back in with yourself to hold yourself accountable? All right. So if we're aiming for 12 sessions at the gym, uh, weightlifting, and I want my energy to be at a seven out of 10 by the end of this month, I'm going to set it for one month and then check back in with myself. Did I hit 12? How are my energy levels? Am I having, am I not feeling as winded? Am I at a seven out of 10? Or am I going to the gym too often? I'm so gassed now my energy levels are mm. lower. Well, then I need to go back and revisit everything. So that's an example of how people can hold themselves accountable to health goals without it being something that is just weight loss, right? And, you know, if somebody needed to lose weight in that process and it actually did benefit them and it actually did change their energy, that would be an added bonus for them possibly. Right. Not saying that it would or it has to, but it could be for somebody who's underweight. Maybe they notice they they have an increase in weight and increase in muscle mass. They're seeing more definition. Right. It could go either way. Right. So um, that answer your question. Yeah. <laughs> and it sparked another one. So even better, because I think. Right. I think um, our goals are so set on that waste weight loss factor for the most part. That is why we're doing this. We want. Mm -hmm. weight loss and you you mentioned something um that stood out to me and you mentioned is is the like the weight loss or i i already forget the exact quote you said but it's like is that healthy for you mm -hmm. um i remember getting this argument with uh, a few people because they wanted to do a weight loss challenge and i was like listen mm -hmm. um weight is not a determinant of health um again i'll go back to myself i've been exercising and, you know, I, I already I'm sort of like a stockier fellow. Um, when I started going to the gym, I wasn't losing weight. I was putting on weight because I was weightlifting and mm -hmm. you know, I was getting bigger arms and bigger shoulders and bigger legs. And I was actually going up in scale, but my cardio was better. Um, I, I could go longer. I could lift heavier. So like I knew I was progressing, but the weight wasn't there. Uh, how do I don't even know if there's a way and it's probably working with the expert, but like, how do you know that if like the, the weight loss is even right for you? And I'll even go to the cultural example of, I want to just lose five pounds. I'm going to the beach. I want to lose five pounds. Is that good for you? I, I, I don't know. Like, how do you maybe determine that? Yeah. Uh, I, well, in, in an assessment, in, in a beginning phase, um, start slow. Like I would start slow with that person. Even, even if it was a friend or family member coming to me, I'm going to 
ask what makes you think you need to lose five pounds, right? Um, this is just a side note too, asking what questions you often get more information from people than why, because most of the time when you say why, they'll go, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or, right? Or, or they have, they, they, they're prepared for a why, right? So they'll go, because I'll feel better. But like, what is making you, like, what makes you think that? What makes you, what made you ask me about that? What bring, what makes you bring that up? When you ask those what questions, all of a sudden they start going like, oh God, like, uh, I guess I think it's because of whatever. And they're going to have more insight into, again, the behavioral thing is for some reason they're coming out and they're saying, blah, I want to lose five pounds. But what are the emotions and the thoughts that are going on behind that is what I'm thinking about, right? It's like, okay, you know, big emotions equal big behaviors. If you're willing to go to extreme measures to lose five more pounds, where's the emotional drive behind that? Where's the benefit, right? And and actually, it's interesting, too, because this is very, we're both activists, too. So this is very, um, like, the five A's of, uh, of leading into uh, advocacy, right? Mm. So the first one is like awareness, right? That's like your exposure level. So somebody who's maybe never heard of a fad diet, they may go like, oh, wow, that's wild. Or maybe they've ever heard of fat phobia and they may go, oh, okay, all right. That's that it's like on their, their level, they're aware now. The next is analysis. And that's kind of where, and we can do this within our own circles and, and analyze. You're not necessarily calling them out, but you're saying like, who's benefiting from this and who's suffering? right? Is that level of suffering for that last five pounds, is that really benefiting you? For a professional athlete, it might be make or break, right? For our mm -hmm. neighbor, hmm. after that analysis, when you get comfortable with that analysis, and that's like generally like what I would do in an assessment or even with friends and family, then you have that activism, right? So the activism is more of the call out culture, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you go like, hey, this, I don't know if that's right. Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Or um, you know, to protest, you don't, you know, whatever makes you feel good. I want to be on your side, body autonomy at the end of the day, but I'm not the person to come to with this because I think that there, I believe in health at every size. And, you know, that could be your form of activism is saying that's not for me. Right. Advocacy is when you're constructively and actively working in the field. Uh, so that would be, you know, you'd, you'd be working in it, uh, some sort of Hayes program, dietitian, things like that, maybe medical, and then having access would be also a source of influence mm. is the last a. So that's like where I like to use my social media is just, and you don't have to be super top level to be able to do it, but just say, Hey, that's what you're doing with this podcast right now. Right. You're being a source of influence with it. The access, so. the access for me is the most mm -hmm. important part. I think yeah. Not in terms of, of that general, like the five A's, but I think that's the one for people that's the hardest um, mm -hmm. because we live, and I, I don't have to tell you that, like a society, whether you say capitalism or the patriarchy mm -hmm. or wealth inequality, I mean, inflation, we could talk about just access to healthy foods for marginalized and vulnerable communities. You know, that is we're talking about all of this the access part i think is that that overlying thing that sort of is the detriment of all of it because one um therapy or nutritionist or fitness that costs money mm -hmm. that costs time and a lot of people mm -hmm. don't have that because we're just working you know three or four jobs just to pay rent and by the end of the day you've worked 22 of 24 hours not to do it again tomorrow feed your kids you go to the store and lettuce is nine dollars and chicken breast is forty dollars and you're like 
you know, okay, kids, I guess it's ramen noodles again. Like, sorry. Like, you know, for me, access to all of this mm-hmm. is the part that is the thing that sets it all back. It's the hardest part of it all. Yeah. Advocate, like advocacy comes mm. before, like all four come before that, that fifth to access to, to be a person who's pushing it out there and trying to get people access to this, this information and be a source of influence uh, of information and influence. It, it's, it's really difficult to get to, you can't get to that point without the awareness. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why like a lot of the, the stuff that we see on social media, um, it needs to be evidence-based it needs to be trauma informed right we need to have that that source of influence to to build awareness on say social media for example and say hey here's what's up and uh that can lead to a lot of change as time goes on because then say you have the call out culture of then like other people who who uh you know maybe they're not even let's use stick with nutrition for right now mm-hmm. but let's say they're not involved they're not a nutritionist at all they're not like never taking a nutrition thing in their life but they go hey but then they tag me in something and go hey bridge is this accurate right so that so now all of a sudden they're doing that advocate they're doing they're being activists without even knowing it right because they're advocate and then they're advocating for uh correct information and you're absolutely right the access is the most important because when we're looking at social determinants of health, that's why I get pissed off and I say, don't clear your like clear the freaking clutter out of your head about like what, oh my God, I had 10 almonds today. Shame on me. <laughs> like we got to get that shit out of your head because you got more important things to worry about. <laughs> like I want you to go make a difference in the world. Like come see me for a little bit. We'll get rid of the shit in your head, clear it all out and make room for for bigger and, and more important things. Right. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. I'm uh, again, it's just it's so sad because even most of the advice you see, it all relies on on having money or having time or having anything. And I don't think we can get to a place in a world where we can talk about this, especially from a, a trauma informed and psychological sense, uh, mental health sense, all these things, if we're not working to fix these systems and it's not just on social media like it's like how you vote it's how you you know showing up to those community meetings about what they're building and the infrastructure you know it's all these like all of it and it all comes back to just being able to access healthy foods for you and your family like it's everything is sort of related uh and in their connected web yeah yeah no absolutely and uh yeah, community community is everything. Community over capitalism all the way because a big proponent of these capitalistic, like why these fad diets continue, why these, you know, why is there a new bestseller diet book every month? If you go to Indigo, there's two competing things. Like it's right there. They're both saying each other is wrong. They're both freaking wrong. Mm. But that capitalistic, like if you work hard enough, you can achieve it is embedded in our brains and the way we're socialized in terms of our own shape and weight, the meaning we place on that, the levels of productivity in your day. We all have 24 hours. Like you can't get to the gym, you know, that bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then you also have on top of it, these people are, and I do feel that everybody has mostly good bones in their body, mostly good intentions. They're trying to feed their families too right? They're selling these books, they're selling products, and they may not have the awareness of community over capitalism, right? So when we look at things we can do in our community, social media can be a community, the people Mm -hmm. you're influencing in that can be a community. And that's why I give lots of free information, 
It's like, mm-hmm. I know not everybody, like if you can help me out and come see me and your insurance covers me or you can pay out of pocket, like that helps me my family for now. Right. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, a lot of the information is there. And when we stop investing, your money is your vote, right? When you stop investing in things like fat diets and wild and crazy programs and crazy diet books, you can use that to build community resources, right? Um, you know, it could be something as simple as donating back to your, the money you spend on a diet book, go, go invest it, go give it to a local, local food bank. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Something like something as simple as that, you just reinvest it back into your own community structure. Um, kind of going off on a tangent now for sure, but you get where I'm coming from. Yeah. I mean, I love that you said community um, because there's, there are great initiatives. I mean, they have community gardens in some, in some spots. I mean, you have your, um, your farmers markets and and local things like that. I mean, there there are things. I mean, that we can invest not only our money but our time or our our resources to improving instead of these mm-hmm. sort of you know whether it's the books, whether it's the thousand dollar online courses. Um, start you know even as far as like just getting to know your neighbor again and like sharing food or having dinners or, you know, like bringing something over, like all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. there, there are, you know, all that negativity, all that exists, but there are still great positive things that we can do to help feed ourselves outside of the system. Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's the nature of like potlucks, right? That's yeah. what potlucks come from it's community coming together and family coming together and i i think that that's a a big proponent of um again like i said of the pseudoscience is pushing it back on the individual so the individual feels like they're to blame i mean take a step back and look at the societal everything going on right with these fad diets and that goes back to the social commentary that's why i'll say like a a group of um you know my lived experience right talking with it going out with a group of girls and everybody's like on a different diet talking about their body i'm like no we don't do that we don't do that anymore no we talk about other things right talk let's get into an argument i'd rather argue about politics than talk about what diet you're on right like give me anything um so, but it's all of those, like I said, right from the beginning, the level of influence being the the microsystem and the immediate people around you is the biggest level of influence each individual has. So if you can start to, you know, make a difference on the people around you, then that's how we have that community change. You know, it has to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So um, when we're uh, one thing I want to leave people because we 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 did a whole thing on fad diets and, and misinformation and disinformation and, and research and how confusing it is. I I don't know if you have a, a, an area of expertise in this or have any thoughts, but what are maybe some ways um, that people can sort of flag when they see it? You know what I mean? Like if they see someone talking about something and maybe even using research um, to back their claim. Like what are maybe some telltale signs that go off in your brain that maybe some other people could use? So they're besides just tagging you. I mean, if that's what you want, that's totally cool too. But you know (laughs) what I mean? Like that people can be like, at least make them skeptical and make them go, ah, 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 like that's a warning sign. Like, are there some Mm -hmm. things like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one, the first one is the, the weight focus. That's a really easy one. Uh, That's probably the easiest one is, you know, blaming things on just weight you're feeling this way because of your weight. It's like, I don't know. Uh, The next one is an appeal to emotions, right? So when we have it, like science, (laughs) 
<laughs> science has that like old it gets really miserable but it's like feelings aren't facts right mm. <laughs> so so science removed like that's why i'm like oh you know okay ben um, shapiro but, yeah <laughs> Oh God! Oh, you had to. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, uh, in pseudo, but ironically, right. So this is where pseudoscience will appear as science and the, the, any sort of uh, appeal to emotions, right? Like you're not working hard enough. Any sort of anxiety-inducing things like that can be really, really up there. Um, other ones definitely cherry picking. So in cherry picking research, so for those who don't know, and, and this, I also, wait, side note, because I just want to say something about traditional medicines really quickly, because mm -hmm. I don't want it to be uh, to, for people to think that I am like anti-traditional medicine or, or Eastern medicine or things like that. But that shit's gatekept, man. Like that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who are profiting off of things coming across as scientific, right? And often there's that uh, wellness pipeline of taking something from the indigenous community and taking something from from East, like especially East mm -hmm. Asian, lots of African and, and going and making a profit off of mm -hmm. it, that, that white wellness kind of We've thing. We've talked about on. that here before. That's for sure. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. So we, we, the, the audience already knows about that. So I just want to like side note, this is, has yes. nothing to do with that. This is a different topic. And, uh, then shit where was i going with that we we're talking about pseudoscience cherry picking so when scientific evidence is built up like the lowest like the lowest level is like your aunt karen said she's on a diet that's anecdotal right then you have the uh animal and laboratory studies so if you see a lab study an animal study so one of that i'll pick off the top of my head is the thing that was done on reservatol from wine and they said oh reservatol has these benefits it increases like the, the lifespan of rats it's like well we're not a rat and we're to actually extrapolate that amount you'd have to drink like I think it was 150 something bottles of wine like a day it was just like it was absolutely absurd uh, aspartame tons of aspartame with animal research right so when we look at that we go like okay like interesting right fine whatever then you have case studies above that so case studies the the issue with case studies is that there's no experimental design here Okay, so that that's something to remember. Then you have observational and longitudinal. So this sounds something along the lines of uh, people who live in uh, Italy have longer lifespans. What are they eating? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have longitudinal. But again, there's no specific design here. Then you work your way up to randomized control trials. So in randomized control trials, they may take something from longitudinal research and go, oh, that's interesting. They have a really high level of uh, omega threes in their diet. So let's take this very specific group and we're going to compare contrast people who don't eat a lot of, of olive oil or whatever. And then at the very top, you have meta-analysis and systematic reviews in which they take all that information, they filter out the BS, things that uh, had too many, too many problems with it, and they give us clinical guidelines. They say, hey, here's what's going on in this topic. And typically, the more you go up that hierarchy, the more specific it is with specific demographics, age groups, and human trials are very difficult to do in um, I'm sorry, in nutrition, because mm -hmm. how can we possibly control? So hyperbaric chambers might be used and things like that. Those are really, really um, top-notch kind of studies. So we take those, but they may have a, a lower intake. Their end might be like 20, their number of uh, participants. That being said, something to also take into consideration, if you see headlines that seem sensational or question pseudoscience, is that people will take and and report back more positive studies. Mm 
So the majority of signs, like 90, I don't know, maybe this up in my head, but like a significant amount, more than 90%, they're falsifiable. So the end result is like, yep, we found no conflict. We found no correlation. Like that's all of it. And so it just keeps strengthening the original theory because you have to prove it false. So when you get something that goes, aha, we have a correlation, it gets published more mm. often. You see it more often. It's like, oh, there's a positive correlation. And people are like, holy shit. So, um, but then you find out it's like an elaborate of like, you know, 10 mice or something. And you're like, oh. Yeah. So. I mean, as someone who works in the media, that's where that's where I find the most fault because we'll we'll do that. We'll be like scientists say like whatever, like eating two grapes a day will make you live to 110. And then no, we all know through everything that like 90 percent of the people do not read the article. They read the yeah. headline and they're like, I can drink wine now. Perfect. And yeah. then you go in. It's like, OK, like they re they did five people. Uh, or like they did the the rats or whatever and uh, this is what they found but then like we'll have a caveat of being like researchers are still trying a little uh, everyone missed all of that it just they saw yeah. the headline they're like that's great. that yeah i'm done Great. there right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's another thing too is trying to capture everybody's attention like when you do a reel or something it's like how do i explain this super nuanced topic and i have seven seconds before i lose yes. everyone's attention <laughs> Right. I mean, that. I mean, t another tangent on my part, like, that's why I wanted to do this podcast, because I work in media. I know, you know, even from doing interviews myself, it's like, okay, talk about men's mental health, you have three minutes, and I'm going to interrupt <laughs> you four times. Yeah, like, go. And it's like, yeah. well, masculinity, thanks, Brian, for coming on. That's all the time yeah. we have today. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, <exactly>. no. <laughs> yeah. And then they yeah. post a video of me saying something totally out of context. And you're like, oh great. yeah great that. this is perfect yeah this was the interview right like i mean that's what our whole media culture which is why i love talking to people independently and having a long conversation um and you know like because i you know some i fell for stuff like that uh when i was younger oh, yeah. like it's so easy and then you start yeah. figuring things out you know yeah yeah, that takes it absolutely full circle to what we first spoke about, about attention grabbing headlines and, and images, right? It's all about inducing anxiety to get that click or like we used to buy magazines in the grocery store, things like that. I don't know, maybe there's probably some people do. I see them, I hate them, but you know, it's all about that anxiety inducing state. That's the basis of marketing, right? And then what you're actually increasing that revenue for is anybody who's invested, the advertisers who've invested in that, and then they're selling products or concepts, right? So it's it's a well-designed machine. If we could use it for, for good, that would be amazing, right? Well, once positivity and good starts making money, um, I think we will. But unfortunately, as much as some of us are trying, we're still not quite all the way there. But I think, yeah. you know, people like you um, and the things you do and the messages you put out there. I mean, like I said, right off the top, uh, I love your channel. I think it's perfect and it's perfect for someone like me who just i want no nonsense i just want to come and be like okay here we go and it's like it's just there for me i don't have to like mm -hmm. go back to google and be like, oh okay and go through like webmd and like healthline and <laughs> yeah like i'm like man like am i am i getting cancer from this i don't know that's so hard right like step one yeah yeah don't google your symptoms right oh my god yeah <laughs> but uh listen this it was everything I hoped it to be and more. 
Um, and I'm so glad I got to uh, finally to have a chance to talk with you sort of face to face. Sort of face to face. I mean, in 2023, yeah. it counts now, right? So, yeah. um, you know, what, what are the things you're working on? What's coming up? Where can people follow you? Yeah. So they can absolutely follow me. Uh, my Instagram is fit nutrition counseling. My website is fit nutrition Canada. My old one got hacked. My old account got hacked. It was terrible. So most of the, most of my, uh, people like to follow me on there. That's ideal. Um, otherwise my website is nutritioncanada.com and I have a new course coming up. I'm also speaking at the Canadian nutrition conference Ooh. and yeah, they can, they can come to me for one-on-one or they can come through for some education either or I cannot or feel recommend... free to tag me in something yeah. that they think might be bullshit. <laughs> Watch, you're going to wake up and it's like Ryan Force that has tagged you and like, <laughs> yeah, all these videos. Um, I can't recommend your channel enough. I can't recommend you enough, Bridget. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with me. Um, you're incredible. I'm a big fan and uh, I, I can't wait to see what you keep putting out. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I hugely appreciate it. And we will be in touch for sure for uh, probably a follow-up number two, because we got lots of info. Uh, never stops. <laughs> never <laughs> stops. <laughs>